Hi guys, welcome back to Death of Black Girl, the second episode. I'm so sorry this took so long. I originally filmed it with my first guest and the audio was horrible. Then I filmed another episode and like it wouldn't let me edit it and everything was going wrong. So we are back again after a temporary hiatus with a new guest who is very close to my first guest. But my first guest is unavailable, so I got the second guest. Drum roll. <laughs> Hello, welcome. Oh, I'm the second guest. Um, Technically, you're the your, first guest, but... For the, your information, I'm uh, different you know, at all levels from the first guest. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm Rufaro's dad, and uh, yeah, very nice to contribute to this very important topic. Cool. So, do you want to introduce yourself, Daddy? <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, who are you? What do you do? How old are you? Uh, that sort of stuff. That's quite intrusive. Intrusive. Uh, okay, so... But anyway, um, so uh, I'm a middle-aged man. <laughs> Who has uh, spent uh, half their life outside Australia, uh, in Africa, uh, and the other half, of, of course, here. And um, oh, the same applies to probably the way I was schooled or educated. Half of my education uh, in Africa, Zimbabwe, and uh, then the other half here in Australia. So I have seen um, what happens in these two worlds. Hmm, that was really... My dad is acting like this is like a uni lecture. (laughs) That was a great segue because actually today we're talking about intergenerational trauma. We're talking about our different experiences migrating and in diaspora and experiences at school and at uni. And I kind of spoke about this in the first episode, but it was very brief, I guess. And it was only from my perspective point of view. And I told you guys that I did immigrate quite young. So I feel like not that my experience is jaded, like it's a very valid experience, but I don't necessarily know what it was like to grow up in Zimbabwe and then grow up somewhere else. Like I would say, most of my formative years were in Australia. So in that way, there wasn't like a cultural transition for me, like physically, it was all sort of like societal and trying to find acceptance in that way. So I kind of wanted to speak to someone of the older generation. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Am I qualifying now to be of an older generation or is just a way of expressing it? You're older, like you're the next generation. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to say you're old because you're like kind of young. But right, for the for the purpose of this conversation, I'll just accept that I'm from the old generation. Older, not old. Older just makes it a bit worse. Older is better than old. Okay, let's take it that way then. <laughs> so we're speaking with someone of the older generation, and I think let's start with school like how was school for you when you were in Zimbabwe like primary school even okay that's really a very uh sort of uh, long time ago isn't it long time ago (laughs) and a very general uh question um uh, no but but honestly like how was it because I always think about because obviously we're going to Zimbabwe later in the year and I always think about how weird, not weird, but just, like, how much of a different feeling it would be, like, to wake up and go to school and everyone speaks Shona and everyone looks exactly like you and everyone is just like you. Like, I've never experienced that. Like, was it a good experience? It it is a good experience, uh, very good indeed. But uh, I probably should point out that, um, you know, uh, even though you would be a group that is almost similar, uh, they are, or they, there used to be some some uh, min, minor differences, and um, some people actually used to like, uh, or, to, or they thrived on those, those uh, little differences. And like, these were like, uh, you know, uh, perceived societal classes, so differences in classes, as in, you know, someone comes from... Uh, 
a poor family, someone from a richer family, and you could see by the way people are dressed, by the right. food they bring to school, you know, you know, something like that. Right. Uh, so you could be, you know, all this looking the same, uh, you know, same race, same everything, but there are some. No, some of the things that you notice, and um, yeah. I guess in each and every society, you sort of come across those things. Yeah, I guess that is like society is built upon like notions of class and all of that. But I feel like that definitely is interesting in Zimbabwe because obviously you, you just went to like a school, Kumusha, like it wasn't like you know a big private school. But to think that people were still finding ways to separate people based off of their wealth I think is very interesting considering I would assume that everyone would have been of a similar wealth bracket or like of a similar experience yeah certainly uh, not uh, because <laughs> not. Uh, yeah because uh, you know you've got uh, even though you are at a school in some rural place or kumusha uh, you would have uh, really, really people who, who are struggling to make ends meet, and then you would have uh, some people who probably have got both parents working, probably as teachers at the school or as nurses at a local clinic. Or, you know, and no, they would be different. Their kids would look different mm. from other kids. So, like by the things they wear and the stuff they bring. Yes. What about? Do you think colorism was a big thing? Because obviously, there's no racism. But do you know what I mean? Like. What do you mean by colorism? Colorism is... Look at me teaching my dad things. Colorism is like, say, if you went to Zimbabwe, people would treat someone who is of lighter skin different to someone who has darker skin. Or Ah, someone who has like... Is that what you mean? Or someone who has more Eurocentric features. Daddy, why do they call them in Bulawayo? Like colored people or... They would treat them differently. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think that still happens. Uh, you know, so you've got people who naturally have got a very dark uh, skin and others have got a lighter uh, skin. And, you know, those ones with the lighter skin are treated like, you know, you know as if they are better off. Yeah, because yeah. I notice that when I go to Zimbabwe, I'm not even that light. Mm-hmm. But I feel like people treat me a little bit differently. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that uh, that so that used to happen when I went to school, and I believe it is still happening these days. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, like, just... So it wasn't outward. People wouldn't be like, oh, you look like this. It would just be, like, inherent ways that you treat people. Yes, yes. So I think it be, it's, it's historical. Uh, as you know, the history of Zimbabwe, that... Um, uh, Zimbabwe uh, was colonized some years ago uh, and um, uh, through those years of, of colonialism uh, Zimbabweans as in black Zimbabweans uh, wished that they could be the other race uh, because the other race um, you know, was associated with um, wealthy was associated with you know, they were well to do anyway so yeah. uh, whoever had features uh, that are closer to that race uh, uh, it appeared like you know they they uh, you've got wealth right? right so you know if you've got a lighter skin it's like oh well you're close to you know to like being you're associated exactly. by association yes yes right. yeah so that I think that's where uh, that came from yeah it's it's historical and it has got um, its roots in uh, in uh, the way uh, Zimbabwe was colonized and the culture mm. sort of you know developed uh, from there. Well, I guess that's kind of where our situation differs because I guess like in primary school, kids I feel like kids aren't smart enough to actually have malice when they if they're making fun of someone. Or, like, if they're being mean, like, I, at least I feel like in primary school, people just make fun of me just for, like, oh, we think you're ugly. Or do you know what I mean? Like, stuff that isn't actually rooted in, um, rooted in, like, like, racism or rooted in actual issues. It was yes, kind I, of just, like, surface. Yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, uh, I, I think there's some acceptance that oh okay they are treating me this way oh okay uh, you know it's it's in, for it's, who it's for me n- not not uh, for the person who is the, the recipient mm. uh, for the person who is mis being mistreated like if you grow up in such a society where uh, it is accepted you also end up accepting it as a norm uh, even though you know deep down there you know we know that it's wrong yeah and, I agree um, with that. yeah and I think even you know you give an example of 
primary school. I'm thinking, you know, primary schools in Zimbabwe. And when I went to, to primary school, um, uh, we were not that uh, clever to be able to point out uh, that something is wrong here. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was... Or perceived as wrong. Exactly. Yeah. It was more of um, uh, some cultural expectation, sort of culture driving the way we behave. Yeah. Not us as individuals actually making a decision. And I was going to say, that's why it's, I find it weird in Australia when people bully each other, like, based off of, like, cultural things. Because I feel like Australia doesn't have its own culture. Like, the culture in Australia is built off of its, like, migrant history. And, like, the culture that is actually Australian is Indigenous culture, but we don't know a lot about that. So that's why, like, now that I'm older, I just get really confused as to why whiteness is, like, the perceived norm. Like, even in Zimbabwe, I guess that does make sense, like, colonial roots. But I don't really understand... Like, I understand why... Australia was like colonized and made like a British empire but like aside from all of that whiteness shouldn't be the norm if like the first people here were indigenous people like theoretically we should be like at the top of the food chain yes of course but you know what um my personal sort of thought around that is um uh uh is that you know everyone is or everyone plays an, an important role to society. Um, you know, no matter your background, it doesn't matter. You know where you you, you originate from. Uh, we all contribute uh, to uh, this society we are part of. Uh, there should not be anyone superior. Uh, and there should not be anyone who should feel inferior. We should all be equal partners. Uh, but this is theoretical. Uh, we know we all yeah, know what's happening. <laughs> Practically. That's like uh, a yes. utopic world. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, primary school leading on to high school. I think, at least in my experience in Australia, high school is where things become like more malicious because then everyone has the internet and they're trying to make jokes and they understand that. I feel like in high school, people still don't understand why racism is wrong, but they understand that that is probably like the lowest of the low that you can go to insult someone or, you know, the the way that you can make someone hurt the most. And then year 10, 11, 12, I feel like that's when people are either, they regret what they've said in the past that would have been, like, problematic or racist or they're just completely bigoted. And, like, something that I've learned, like, growing up and, like, also from you and Mama is that, like, bigotry or, like, racism, a lot of it is, like, inherent or generational. Like, I don't think you know, a ba- like a white baby would be born racist or like with malice in their heart or like, you know, with like white supremacy in their heart, the desire that everyone else is inferior. But I feel like parents especially teach that to people and schools especially teach that to kids as well when they like sanction racial vilification or bullying or, you know, they don't have indigenous education or, you know, majority of their students are white or... They have like no POC colored, like POC or colored teachers. Like something that I noticed at my school was none of the teachers except the language teachers were like people of color. And there was not a single African teacher at the school. And like, I only really realized that when I graduated, like, like no wonder like people of color are expected to do less well or like most of the high grades come from white students or, you know, most of the trouble, this is quotation marks if you can't, you can't see me, come from, like, the black students or, like, because they don't have anyone in power that is there for them or they think is there for them or that they can relate to. Like, imagine how different, like, my experience would have been if, like, there was a Zimbabwean teacher there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of had to rely more on my friends and my parents for, like, pastoral support. And I feel like that's a reason why there's all of this disparity that we're just like, where is this coming from? Because obviously the education system is flawed, but it's also like, I feel like it's also the people in positions of power in those systems that are continuing to perpetuate that flawed system. Yes, um, you are right there. Um, But I have to say, yes, you are right that um, uh, you can't inherit uh, some of these untoward traits uh, that we see in society at school or in communities uh, they are learning you have to someone has to learn 
them from yeah. someone. Uh, and uh, yes, um, parenting and uh, you know the schools uh, where we, you know students develop uh, play a very important role uh, uh, in inculcating some of these uh, behaviors or stopping them. Uh, so um, there is a gap uh, because if there wasn't a gap, uh, we would see uh, you know such traits sort of not really going down. We, would, we wouldn't be talking about this today. Uh, so there's, you know, in a way, there's some, there's a link that we cannot break or that we are failing to break, uh, that is uh, sort of leading us uh, to this uh, dis- discussion. But I'll go back to uh, my point earlier on that if you are at an institution that embraces everyone uh, as an equal partner, that respects everyone, um, you know, you would still do well, even though. There is no one there you can identify. Yeah, like with. you will still do well. Like I still did well. I'm not saying you won't do well, but I'm saying the journey to doing well is so much harder. I feel like you have to work so much harder and put in a lot more individual work to get to the exact same place as your peers or your counterparts. Yep, I won't refute that because I've got some life experiences around that as well. Because he's old. Whereby you probably have to put 110%. Uh, Not for, even 110, for, for, for you 150. To, for you to be, <laughs> to be perceived as 80%, right? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that, yeah that, that I won't refute, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think it stops, like, even when you become an adult. I mean, technically I'm an adult, but I don't feel like an adult. But even when you become an adult and you're, like, in a day job, all of that stuff will be the same, which is upsetting, but that's why you have to co- have conversations about it to hopefully change it. And I was wondering, like, in Zim, like, obviously you had a high school, com- like, education then. You did, like, A-levels or O-levels. Yes, yes, Like, the one that the UK system that they do. Yep. And, like, obviously all your teachers were Zimbabwean. And then you... Um, was then one well, teacher that wasn't Zimbabwean? Well, um, I think I had an experience um, of uh, being taught by uh, a few teachers, some from Cuba... Cuba. Uh, yes, and, they came um, all the way to Gutu from and Cuba. And when I was doing my secondary school, I, at a school where I was, there was a teacher from Germany. Uh, these were called expatriate teachers. But you know, if it's only one or two teachers at a school, they've got very little influence in terms of. Um, but why were they there for? Like, what were they teaching? You? Well, they they were there to they would teach subjects like physical education. Uh, they would teach subjects so like all of the science, <laughs> science subjects, of course, non-language uh, subjects. Uh, but uh, what I'm saying, though, is that uh, they possibly had very little influence in terms of like uh, no power, how yeah. people behave and the like, because, you know, it's just one or two teachers at a huge school, and they are also learning the culture. So, yeah. That would have been so weird. Like, I just feel like that's so weird, like a Cuban teacher in Zimbabwe. Like what? What is the benefit from? Like not well, saying that you can't gain anything, but yeah. I don't think you can. this wasn't only in education. Uh, so you know, we had also Cuban healthcare professionals, Cuban doctors in hospitals. So was there like a surge in Cuban immigration? It was uh, from memory. I think uh, um, there was probably an agreement between the government, the Zimbabwean government, and the Cuban uh, government uh, uh, to sort of you know um, cross train. Uh, mm. uh, Mugabe loves to argue, doesn't he? Yes, so cross-trained <laughs> stuff. And, you know, I also remember one of my relatives went to Cuba and was trained as a teacher and really? came back and taught uh, in Zimbabwe. So I think it, it was more or less of uh, a political Yeah, more of like agreement. a cultural trade yeah. thing. Mm. That's really interesting. I never mm. knew that. Yeah. And do you think for you, was it a weird transition? Because personally... The first, like, ever African-slash-black teacher I had was in drama school, and he was my acting teacher, Mm -hmm. and he was from New York. That's the first ever in my life, like, person of color teacher that I've ever had that was not, like, a language student. And it felt like he was my dad. Like, I felt very safe in that class. Mm -hmm. And I've never, like, especially, like, acting, because we would always talk about, like, how vulnerable we have to be on stage and all of... I always felt like I, I wasn't able to do my best because I wasn't with a teacher who understood like my lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And then I had that teacher and I was like, not that he wasn't a good teacher, but I felt more like 
I didn't feel like a change in in teaching style. Like I didn't necessarily feel like I was learning more, but I just felt like this weird thing of like, wow, it's so weird to not view a teacher as like super scary. Like I feel like all my other teachers, I never truly viewed them as friends. Like I always saw that sort of like hierarchy. How can you view a teacher as a friend? Some teachers can be friends, Daddy. Oh, some of them really? can be friends. Yes, well, I felt... when I was uh, my, when, when, you know, during my years of schooling in Zimbabwe, many, many, yeah, many years. Um, teachers uh, they would hit you. That's why they weren't your were, friends. We're not friends. <laughs> teachers uh, were like you, know, you. You had to give them a lot of respect because they had a lot of power. Um, which you know, you know, this is debatable. Um, they manipulated that power. I'm telling you, you're probably yeah, traumatized. It's, it's, it is debatable, but they helped other people to be where they are right now. Uh, and if they had not been through, uh, no, that, I think that if no, I think if some of those kids didn't get hit in school, they would probably be better off or in the same place. That, that's debatable. I didn't get hit in school. I have got uh, some. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, uh, you know friends. Uh, who, who, who say to me, you know, if it wasn't that teacher, I would have failed that subject. But that's it, probably because they don't know any anything else. Yes, but you also know that uh, students, being students, uh, can be can misbehave, and you know. Is this coming from experience? Or? Yes, you know, I was a teacher as well before. So you were a troublemaker as well. No, I wasn't uh, a troublemaker, uh, but. I, I, I was a teacher or responsible uh, for some students. And, um, you know, wearing a teacher's hat, I tell you students can be uh, or can misbehave. And, um, you know, it depends in, on the society or in the society in which you operate. Uh, but if you were to be in Zimbabwe and um, uh, you apply some of the punitive uh, sort of measures that you have here to try and tame a student. Tame. Uh, or, you know, I actually want to try that when we go to Zimbabwe. It work. Do some a the, social experiment. Some of the don't work. And, and see yes. if my teaching methods would work, like positive yeah. reinforcement. So, so, like so what I'm trying to say, though, here is that um, it's, it depends on what the, what the society accepts. Yeah. yeah. So here, uh, if I were to put someone in the corner there, they will feel like, oh... They don't even do the corner, Daddy. What do they do these days? I remember, well, in primary school, we would have, like, a smiley face and a sad face on the board. Then you would get, <laughs> you would get your initials on the smiley face or the sad and you face. Feel, and you feel like, I have been punished I today. actually literally felt so punished. Or you'd get, like, held back after school or, like, lunchtime or snack time. Yeah. So, you see, if the, if the society says that... You know, this is punishment, and you believe that it is. Yes, it works. But if you want to um, apply that in a different society, like in Zimbabwe, that smiley face, someone may not even know, or, or that said what face. Someone means. may not even know what it means. I it, think, it, it you know what else I think? Impact. I think it's because Australia has, like, such a deep emphasis on the collective. Yeah. And I feel like Zimbabwe has more of an emphasis on the individual yep. and what that person can do. So if you put physical punishment upon the individual, they will actually feel something. In Australia, if you put physical punishment on someone, they'd be like, okay, you hurt me. But if you take them away from their friends or like, you know, deprive them of an experience that they could potentially have, especially when you're younger, like mm-hmm. when friendship is super important, yeah, yeah. then that would be like, oh my gosh, they're really like giving me something yeah. that will upset me. Yeah, agreeable. Yeah, agreeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 to sum this up, you know, whatever you use here as a way of, um, uh, I don't want to use the word term, but as a one, as a, as way, a of, way of of showing the students <laughs> that what they've done is wrong, yeah, uh, so that they don't do that in the future. Whatever you're using here, you can't possibly use it in another country or in yeah. other society uh it may not work and do um, unless if that society uh, subscribes to that way of uh, punishment that way of thinking as well <laughs> that's very true and i was wondering like so yeah you came from zim high school past your a levels yep and then you went straight to uni 
was like how was uni like was it just the same as high school was it four years uni uni the for me was uni, uni for me was four years uh but uni was a, a, a bit of a different experience um when i went to uni during that time i think you know a few other universities were coming up but uh, there used to be only one university yeah one uni so it was very country. competitive uh, to get to that yeah. um, uh, to that uni and uh it was and that's where you met mama she yes, told me and it was you... quite multicultural <laughs> that uni you do have uh, lots of uh, students from other countries as well southern africa north africa western africa with oh. students from eritrea as far as eritrea Egypt. you know how many people have asked me if i'm from eritrea hmm. yeah because eritreans are lighter go there you go <laughs> yeah so the, the 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 university was multicultural in yeah. the sense that we had people from different uh, uh, countries. In my class, we had a guy from uh, North Africa, um, and um, uh, yeah, I think that was the only one from outside Zimbabwe. But no, there was a lot of you know in the other classes. Yes, yeah, a lot of um, people from other countries. So it was uh, like oh, where like a whole new world. Yes, I've got people from everywhere, you know, yeah. at uni. Uh, so that was a different experience, but. When it comes to the lecturers, they were all Zim. No, they were all white. They not not all white, but they were all like from everywhere. Really, I probably this was, was like when Zimbabwe was more in its prime. I was right? taught. Uh, I was taught uh, maybe maybe twenty percent of my subjects or units. I was taught by Zimbabwean-born uh, lecturers. Eighty oh. percent. Uh, they were all like people Worth, from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. What's expats? What's yes, lots of uh, exp- is expatriates. Um, but but also there were other people who were or other lecturers who were Zimbabweans, uh, but probably white Zimbabweans. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember lots of uh, uh, those. Because uh, this was around when, like, nineteen ninety, maybe nineteen. I'm not that old. Nineteen. <laughs> This was... Uh, oh, no, no, no. It would have been like two, 1995. No. 19, I was born in 2000. 1995, I was doing my uh, ordinary level. I so you were in year 12? Yeah. So I was actually not in year 12, year 10. I was year Whoa. 12 in 1997. There's no way. So yes. your second year, of, second year of uni was 1999? I had like more or less like a forced gap year <laughs> because the university same no, twinning. No, they, it wasn't. It wasn't of, of my own. In a, you know, volition. I didn't choose to do that. The university <laughs> not open because of political riots and everything. Sorry, I'm laughing. So, <laughs> so uh, sad. So 1998 went by with me teaching, like doing, right. some, doing some temporary teaching. <laughs> Uh, what is I wait for the I feel like work. every single parent, the Zimbabwean parent, has been a teacher at one point. <laughs> I of feel course. like to be a teacher that's in why, Zimbabwe, you don't need anything. That's, that's why Zimbabweans or people who come from Zimbabwe, that's why they used to be called the most educated, uh, you know, you know, people. Oh, I don't know now, God. but you know, teaching is something that was everyone was yeah. a teacher, like yeah, yeah. every single and person. Can I tell you something? Teachers were highly regarded. And like, now everyone's a like nurse. Highly, highly, highly regarded in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like not that Australia doesn't value education as much, but I feel like education is definitely taken for granted. And because of that, our teachers are taken for granted. Like the way in some schools students literally teach like treat their teachers. Like you said in that Zim goes people back. have that goes back <laughs> to my point about what what we use. It's not because of the punishment. It's not because of the punishment. Because I'm telling you probably if Probably. I'm telling you definitively, if you went to a school and a teacher slapped a kid, it would do nothing. No, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, using uh, the, the, those you know, old styles of, you know... You're uh, talking about tsungaing the ears. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about... There are modern ways um, of, you know, partnering with your student and ensuring that, you know, they you've got an equal say uh, in their education. Uh, you know, gonna, we're not using those old, you know, <laughs> you know, sit in the corner whatsoever. That doesn't make any any change or any, it doesn't help in any way. Um, uh, but um, uh, you are right... I'm always right. Uh, in, say, in, in saying that, uh, you know, it, it, there are some schools here 
uh, where teachers you know can even be mistreated by students uh, yeah. yeah because they're just powerless no i literally yeah. read a while ago there was literally a teacher that was murdered by their student yeah isn't yeah. that so crazy like stuff like that just goes on yeah like but you know that you know that it it also used to happen in Zimbabwe, especially in um, in uh, in our in our rural areas. Mm. Uh, that students, especially like when they finish writing their exams, mm. um, they would beat up some teachers. Like Real, because they would were, be like, "Oh, we're done." Yeah, teachers who were like you know mean to them, or teachers who who, who tried as much as they could to get the students to do better, and they were punishing them when they like. Uh, they you know. They would get beaten when these students finish writing That's their so exams. That's so horrible. Yeah. So I don't know whether it's happening now, I, but I don't believe it's happening. Uh, but it used to happen. That's so horrible. Mm-hmm. But even if it did happen, I mean, I guess the media focus in Zimbabwe would be different because everyone's in is Zimbabwean. But like, do you think would the media even show that? Uh, it's, so. it's 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 one of those things that uh, I, I maybe because when I grew up and when I went to school. There was no social media, and I and you know there is limited space in terms of media, mm-hmm. or there was a limited space in Zimbabwe. And social media just brought in a huge change. You um, know some of the stories that used not to make it, not to the press, yeah. are now being reported. Uh, we call it by Guinea. Meaning that, uh, <laughs> meaning that you know, even if you try to suppress, uh, it'll you, still come it, it, out. It'll still come out. Yeah. So those stories, like teachers being beaten up, you'll probably find it uh, coming out, you know, in one way or another. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about. So obviously, we're talking about. You said Zimbabwe was the the highly regarded whatever education thing. What was, what did you say? Yes, you? I said. Um, I said. Uh, in terms of literacy levels, mm. uh, literacy levels, Zimbabwe at one point I think was at, at the highest literacy level in Africa. Spell mirror. Highest. Spell mirror. Spell mirror. M I double R O R. Good job. Yeah. Why are you testing <laughs> me? Because I I was educated in Zimbabwe. <laughs> I just want to see if you could do it. And uh, that's that, that that is actually translatable to some of the things that you see. Uh, if you consider, for example, uh, Australia, Zimbabweans, of all the migrants, this was a report from a few years ago, of all the migrants in Australia, Zimbabweans are the most highly paid migrants. Meaning that mm, they are educated mm, mm, mm. and they are doing... Would I say that, Daddy? No, no, no. no. Um, it's, you can check Give it. me the source. I will need I'll, to fact I'll, check I'll, that. I will give you the source after this. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's... it's um, it's, it it's, depends what you count as a migrant. It's objective. It's quite objective, yeah. and this is coming from the from um, um, uh, uh, data that was collected a few years mm. ago. Yeah. Well, I definitely think it's a generational thing because, like, you know, the fact that education is so highly regarded in Zim, like in Zim, mm-hmm. and then people immigrate here. I feel like it just places so much pressure on the younger generation that they're like, I need to do more, I need to do more, I need to do more. Like, some of these Zimbabwean kids are not sleeping just to do well in school or do well in their job. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's I, so I, much I, pressure. I, I, I get that. And this is something that uh, us, you know, of, uh, uh, when I say us, I mean people with Zimbabwean people of Zimbabwean origin. This is something that we were taught from very, exactly, very yeah. you were young, taught to work hard. young age. We were taught yeah. that um, you work hard, you have a better life. You work hard, uh, you know, you thrive in this competitive yeah. world. And, um, and um, you know, and I when, I reflect, like, when, when I reflect back, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm. Because, because I know what people did not work hard, what they achieved in life. I know yeah. where they are right now. Yeah. I know what they are doing right now. So I have got live examples, you know, uh, to say if you work hard, you end up being this. If you don't, you end up being that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is definitely coming from like a privileged point of view because I didn't grow up in Zimbabwe. Exactly. exactly. But I feel like black people in Australia work 
too hard like not saying that I want people to be lazy I'm definitely not saying that but I feel like there's like this culture of like go to work don't make friends when you're at work you're just making money leave go home sleep this this what's it called the cycle repeats okay. there's no no listen listen no time for, I, I, no I listen listen for listen, listen 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 no answer. listen listen this is where I get my stubborn from because my I get it from my dad there's no time for rest. And I've been hearing this thing that is just like so called Rest is Resilience. And it's a podcast as well. And it talks about the power that black people claim from just taking a break and resisting and resting as a form of like empowerment. Because people expect black people to keep on trying to grind and keep on working harder and keep on trying to fight everything. You know this. You know me how much I'm always trying to fight everything, but how powerful is it for me to just stop and take a step back for just a second and to just sit in everything? Do you know what I mean? Like to stop putting all that pressure on myself and on other black people to do the most and do everything all the time. Okay. uh, I'll I'll try to put through the the, the point which I had uh, before when we're talking about uh, black people working hard. And probably you've seen this, uh, if, or you, you are visualizing us, your parents, as examples. Not even or, my parents, because I other, understand how you speak. Yeah. But, but now, um, what you probably need to sort of you know, put into consideration as well is that um, there's somewhere these people have come from. Yeah, exactly. There's right? a journey. Yeah. So they've come from somewhere. And some of the people we are referring to have started from zero when they are 30 years old mm. or 35 yeah. with two young kids, with yeah. three young kids. You cannot expect those people to work at the same level as someone who started working uh, at 20, at 22, at 25. At 16. At 16, like yeah. you, right? So they, have, they don't have a house. They don't have a decent, you know, you know, any decent savings. So they have to work a bit hard before they get to that age where their health or physically they can't work anymore. So that's right. why you like see... Like work past um, exactly, retirement. Exactly. And we call that quarter two. When you, before you reach to that quarter two age, you know. You, the quota age. Quarter two. You know, it's quarter two. Yeah, if you look, oh, look at your clock, two. like you on at, the clock. Yeah, if you look at your clock, when you get to quarter two, you are nearly like <gasps> three quarters. Exactly. Oh, see, yeah. Right. So they have to make use of uh, that bit of time which they have, you know, through working hard mm. and then you know rest. I completely understand that. Yeah, and I acknowledge that completely. But what I will never understand is people pushing that struggle onto their kids, which is what I'm talking about, the intergenerational trauma stuff. The struggle is gone. The struggle is so gone in Australia. Like, not saying that life is easy here. It is so much easier here than in Zimbabwe. Not saying that that is a reason why people should be lazy or not work hard. But, like, that pain that you go through to, like, constantly grind, the no sleep, no eat, just suffer all the time stuff, like, all of that hardship that you and Mama probably went through, I don't need to go through that at all. Of course. And I I haven't gone through that. I'm not saying I have. Of course. (laughs) You will never go through that because, uh, you you know, you will never go through it. Hey, hey, don't say never. We don't know. The world might end. No, but what what you say, hardship, like the way we we grow up. It's different hardship. Yeah, the way we grow up, you will never have that experience. And for some uh, some reason, I I think you you have missed out big time. Because you know it's it, it, it's something that. Um, so you want me to suffer? Not, not that you, not that I want you to suffer. Just having a snippet of an experience. But I guess I and use that as your but reference. But the thing is, mm-hmm. I will have different experiences to you that I think are on the same level, but just different universes. Okay. If you have an experience, I'll give you an example of walking to school for ten kilometers away. He always loves this one. He and, always brings this one. And, and come back just for two he days. He always loves this one. Just for two he days. He loves this example. Um, and you, you are home and dry. Then you have got a reference point to say, okay, uh, when we talk about walking to school, because I remember very well uh, <laughs> that um, you used to finish your class <laughs> at 4.30 and sit in the library and go, I need someone to come and pick me up. I go, I'll be ready by 6. You go, oh, yes, I'll be waiting. One and a half hours waiting when you can walk for 10 minutes. So you see, 
That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you need that reference point to it, say. First of all, it was a 30 minute walk, not 10 minutes. Second of all, it would be super hot or rainy. I'm not going to do that. And my bag would be so heavy. You would be walking with just sadza. Just sadza and a torch. I would be walking with like five books and a laptop and a blazer and all of this extra stuff that I have to carry. Okay. And also, I, I, I remember vividly, I wasn't even allowed to take the bus or walk home by myself until like year eight. And remember the first time I took the bus because you guys never let me take the bus. I missed the whole day of school because I just stayed on the bus. I didn't know I was supposed to tap off. Okay, that's experience for you. <laughs> Very important experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. All I'm saying is, your experience was definitely hard. Definitely shaped you into who you are. And I don't need to experience that personally for that to shape me as well. Do you I, know what I, I mean? I agree 100%. Because but of what, inter, it's passed through, it's generational. It's passed through blood. It's passed through your, what, how you've brought me up. I already have that muscle memory of what you've gone through. And now my kids are going to experience that on top of the fusion of things I've experienced. And they'll, do you get what I mean? Like it's all exponential. So I don't need to walk for 10 kilometers and kill my feet. No, you're not, you're not killing your feet. If my feet were not killed... Daddy, you can barely killed. walk now. <laughs> he limps now for it's walking. It's good experience. It's good experience. That will carry you forever. He you know, limps you, now yeah, after yeah. walking like 10 minutes. Have that as your reference point and go, okay, this is how they used to do it. Okay, now I see. Now I've experienced it. You'll be proud of yourself. So, okay. Okay, can when I ask When I go to Zimbabwe, I'm going to walk Can I ask you a question? That day, or those two days, maybe it was one day, when you went to that primary school, uh, how good was it? It may not have been that good, but when you reflect now... Oh, okay, let me explain. Yes. So, when, when was it? 2014, maybe? Somewhere there. Um, yeah, me and my brother went to my dad's old primary school for a few days. It was a little bit traumatic, more for my brother than me. But looking back, it was a really good experience. But they would always be like, Murungu, Murungu. Like, I had a different, like, experience. They still bullied me, but I know I'm a better person for going. Like yeah. they, kept, <laughs> you, you, you perceive it they were as saying a, like arrival of the British. <laughs> you, you, you perceive it as bullying, but they were actually praising you. And this is again due to you know uh, skin color and probably you know your, uh, the way you were talking uh, and you probably were throwing English words here and there. <laughs> and, and they were actually singing praises. And then uh, I remember my brother; he was eating my pussy, and they go ichka ichka ichka. Yes, and everyone wanted to be close to you. Everyone guys. wanted his food. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, uh, yeah, it, it does happen. Yeah, yes. I mean, that was but the experience, experience uh, you carry that forever. You I would will. tell your kids about that experience. I like, will. I once went to a primary school, even though it was two days, but you know, you still have that experience. And honestly, can I just tell you how grateful I am that you and mama have never just shipped me off to Zimbabwe? I'm forever, don't make that face like you're gonna do it now. Well, but the I'm... time is fast now. <laughs> We might do that, and before we before we get home, we'll be here anyway. So, like, I'm so grateful because all of the experience that I've had, experiences I've had in Zimbabwe, have been like of my own volition. So nothing is jaded, if that makes sense. Like nothing bears any resentment because I remember going to primary school. It was me begging you to go, and you and Mama saying, "No, you you don't need to. Like it's fine." And I think you guys were a little bit apprehensive just because, like, you know everything there's so many reasons to be apprehensive but i think because i was a kid i was just so just so naive and just like i just need to go like i just want to know what it was like yeah so i'm definitely happy that very I very inquisitive uh you were but anyway I, I, you know as i said it was good that you got that experience and even when you i think you even applied it here that oh, i'm here doing this and that and while these other kids are uh, experiencing this kind of life or this kind of learning you know they're being taught this way uh, i don't know when oh you... yeah i was telling them like how i was being taught yeah. and stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah that is interesting everything from the furniture they were using in the class oh is it was so it was deaf like they had like blackboards yeah i had a smart board in my <laughs> in my primary school and oh i remember 
And because that happened, it's made me so much so much more aware of things. Like I remember in uni, like my lecturer was complaining about how we had a whiteboard instead of a smartboard. And then I was like, that is such like a first world thing to be complaining about because we don't even write anything. We're just on our laptops the whole time. Yep. But it's like, yeah, there's schools in Zimbabwe where they don't even have like paper to write with or a pen to write with. That's true. So I'm really happy that I... I was able to get that other perspective. So when you look at it, at this uh, from a very sort of you know, a broad uh, point of view, um, I think that's why it's important to have um, to, to, to to have these uh, to, to share these uh, sort of lived lived experiences or to have some some of the, some we we call it work experience whereby <laughs> work experience yeah whereby you could go I could go and do my kind of work somewhere in some other country and oh, see and see yeah. how and see how they work. Uh, I really they, want you, you know, to go to my like school that. for one day because that's the thing is I feel like I kind of understand you. Like where you're coming from, but I feel like you literally have no idea what it's like to go to like an Australian school. Minus I, uh, uni. I don't I mean want primary. to. I don't want to lie. I, I I didn't experience that. Even though I said I did part of my schooling here, it was more of adult education, self-directed education, without a teacher in front of you. Yeah. So it's a totally different experience. Uh, so yeah, I've got no idea how, how it's done here, and um, I hope one day I'll be able to sit. At the back of the class, <laughs> and, uh, and listen, and contribute to and contribute to the discussion yes. about like of mice and men or something. Yeah, no, it was just it's so crazy because I feel like also like being in a room where you're like the minority, you always feel like everyone is watching you. Like that's why I feel like I also felt like I had to do well at, at school. Like obviously, I wanted to like impress you and Mama, but I also just didn't want to like be that stereotype of like. You know, like I didn't want to be that person, that stereotype of like the black girl that isn't smart or this or that or this or that. I just wanted to prove everyone wrong. Like a lot of it just came from me wanting to like defy what people thought of me. Like just by looking at me, people would make so many like baseless assumptions. And also because I did a lot of like performing and like art and stuff like that, people never thought I was smart. And also because I was school captain and like my co-captain was white. They people at my school had this thing of thinking like one school captain was smart, one school captain was dumb. It was so weird. But everyone always say to me, "So you're the one that's going to put in a lot of work on your captaincy, and he'll be the one that will get like a good mark." And just all of this stuff like that that would just make me so upset. And I was like, "No, I'm going to do what I want and get the mark that I want," because I was just annoyed. It's probably not good to be <laughs> to be fueled by like anger. But I don't know. It just made me want to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, I guess probably it worked uh, well for you. Uh, it, <laughs> it doesn't made, work. Don't be fooled by anger. It made you push hard. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, yeah, people you know respond to such things differently. Uh, as others who work hard to prove people wrong, and in this in the process they do well. Uh, so you know, well done for that. But um, you know, yeah, in an ideal society, uh, again, you know, where everyone treats each other with respect, um, that should not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I wanted to finish this episode by saying thank you for being on and for being so open and honest. It's always easy and fun to have conversations with my dad. Um, so thank you for that. Wonderful. Always my pleasure to contribute to <laughs> such stories. Uh, I, yeah, I value this. Thank so you. So I wanted to finish off with a question for you. Yeah. Do you think that a cycle of intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma should be something that we strive to end? Or is it something that makes who we are? Like I'm saying in the fact that, you know how I was saying, all of the things that you experienced in Zimbabwe are things that have shaped me into who I am. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been better for me to grow as like an individual without your lived experiences forming part of who I am and letting go of the trauma you may have experienced? Or do you think, you know, that that has formed me into the person I am and made me the type of person I am with the kind of views and beliefs that I have? Because I'm wondering that about like when I have kids way down the line. Thank okay, you. Good. All right. So, um, I think uh, from uh, my point of view... Um, when someone, or when you're learning from what someone has experienced, Mm. uh, there are things that you can pick 
that are positive and there are things that you can put aside that are not. But what um, can you learn from the positive? Yeah, from the positive, uh, yeah, of course. You learn, you know, if your parents are telling that I did this so that I can do well uh, and I I had to go through this so I can do well, you learn through that. Uh, And I was going to say, it's not everything that is trauma. I think we need to understand the way uh, we are using the word trauma there. Uh, it's not everything that's trauma. Some of the experiences are very positive and they are very good and they've shaped you to be who you are and me to be who I am, mm. uh, but they are not trauma. So, But I don't think trauma needs to be negative. Like, I guess the medical, medical term is negative, but yeah. I feel like in this context, trauma is just something that leaves like an impact on your soul or like on your, you know, on, on your so, consciousness. So it could be positive or negative? Could be positive or negative, exactly. and it depends on the interior. So what I've said uh, is vindicated then that uh, uh, whatever is positive, take it, apply it to your situation. But because it's transgenerational trauma, it's not like when it enters my body, I get to be like, mm, pick and choose the negative or the good. I feel like it's it's black and white. Like you either need to actively work against, like I don't want my kids to, you know, like I don't want my kids to know anything of what I've experienced, which is definitely something in America when people migrate there. There's such like a big disconnect between like the kids and their parents. They have no idea what their parents went through when they were younger. Like they just don't speak about it. Or you need to be able to have those conversations and re-establish that cultural connection. But that also comes with some negatives, like the pressure yeah, on education. I, I, I would go for the letter. I would go for the letter. <laughs> Take that pressure. Exactly. No. I would go for the letter. You know, if you no know, cordial discussions regarding all these experiences, uh, there are lots of things, rich stuff to learn uh, from those experiences so rich in such a way that mm. if we were to go without having imparted those things to the next generation, there would be a, a big loss, you know, uh, in terms of the perpetuity of some of these things yeah. that we've experienced. So, and I guess we're kind of lucky, like, obviously Zimbabwe isn't, like, hashtag thriving, but it wasn't war-torn when you guys were leaving. Like, do you know what I mean? It of wasn't. Course, it, yes. You guys weren't refugees yeah. when you came here. Yeah. There wasn't that sort of trauma. Exactly. So I guess it's easier for us to be able to look at you and Mama's experiences as a learning curve. Yep. But yep. I guess definitely for other immigrants or other refugees or other families, it would be a completely different situation where you wouldn't want your kids to be subjected to that. Yeah, and and of course this is where where even when you're having discussions with kids, that's even where parents can choose what to say and what not to say. Uh, yeah. Because then you know that some of the things may affect uh, your Them children. Later on. Yes, so you'd be quite selective uh, in terms of what you share. Slay. Well, that is everything for today. Let me go. Let me guys know what you liked about this episode, and if you guys want to hear more from my father. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and I will hopefully fingers crossed. Uh, don't hold me to it. I'll see you next week. Bye. Say bye. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>